Hello and welcome to Football and Grits. I'm your host, David Ubbin, here with Brody Miller. Welcome to the Georgia Victory Lap uh, episode. This uh, is our Super Bowl episode, man. This is the two biggest games of the year. This is SEC is everything week. The dogs were barking. And, you know, last week we talked a lot about the week that was to come. And it delivered. <sighs> it delivered. Man. Uh, the the Probably in the opposite way we expected, though. Maybe a little bit. I, I thought LSU would push Bama, and I thought they would probably lose close because I've seen Bama play on the road, and I was not impressed. Uh, I've seen them in person twice on the road, and then I watched uh, the Texas game on the road on TV. They looked not very good in all three of those games. Granted, Bryce Young got hurt in the Arkansas game, but still. Uh, either way, they, haven't, they didn't look great in any of those games, and I thought 12 points for an LSU team playing the way that they are is a lot. I'm not shocked that they won, but – uh, just because I, I've, you know, again, bam on the road, you know, we're, we're, and then of course they're 12 point favorites again at Ole Miss this weekend, I know. <laughs> not, we'll get... not to, not to give away our pick segment, but, uh, I don't know about that one. Yeah. And then Georgia, Tennessee obviously was not necessarily uh, a compelling game, but man, we got to start there, Brody. That Absolutely. was a narrative. That was a narrative shifter. And I think a lot of the conversation around the game, um, Centered around uh, the the anonymous coach uh, chatter, we had a story. Uh, they did not read my quotes on College Game Day, but they did for Pete Thamel, and certainly that was very relevant. Uh, after the game, I was on the field, and Zion Logue uh, said something to the effect of, uh, "They were supposed to score fifty, huh? <laughs> no sir, no sir." <laughs> and uh, Jalen Carter made himself a lot of money on Saturday, uh, and not from NIL deals. Uh, that man. Absolutely took over that game. Yeah. Keely Ringo, uh, another guy whose name came up. A lot of coaches were not really on him this year. Yeah. And he played an unbelievable game. And I thought it was funny, too. I wrote about this in, in my story after the game. But he said – Kirby Smart said Sunday morning, Keely Ringo came to him and said, hey, coach, can we talk? He said, I want number 11. I want number 11. Ooh. I want to shut down Jalen Hyatt. And Kirby was like, okay, Keely, uh, you're 19. I'm probably the best uh, defensive coach right now in college football. Let's have a game plan. You're going to be a big part of it. And Keeley had a massive game. Uh, I think Kirby was so impressed with his guys buying in. And I think, too, you know, we'll talk a lot about Georgia on this on this, um, uh, on, on this show. But one of the things that I felt like one of the coaches did say, and I forget if it was in the piece. I, you have to forgive me. I spent a lot of time yeah. talking. Um, but he was very aggressive in saying, hey, look, a lot of teams have talent. Um, he wasn't trying to subtweet the Aggies, but I think in some ways he might have been. Yeah. He's like, but Georgia buys in. Georgia plays so hard. He said, Georgia plays harder than any team that we that we have in the SEC. Like, their guys are everywhere. It's like, they swarm to the ball. They play good assignment football. He's like, and that's hard when you have teams that are that talented, that can play that disciplined and buy into what you're trying to get them to do. Um, and that's what we saw from Georgia. Everything was clicking defensively. An unbelievable performance from them. Um, smacked Tennessee, and, and basically Georgia announced to the world, hey, we won the championship last year. We lost, what, 15, 15 yeah, draft unreal. picks, five first-rounders from the defense, which is – I mean, I, if you really – like, I, that's just insane. Like, I think you – like, you can talk about it, you can talk about it, and then you still see it on paper and you're like, unbelievable to come back and still be sitting here we're at what november 7th right now and it is the uh there's not a case for anyone else at number one 
right now. We'll see what Ohio State does. We'll see if Georgia gets a little bored. But Saturday was a big uh, plus for the Georgia was just bored over the last yeah. month uh, narrative, which I was skeptical of because I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know that teams can turn it on and off just quite like that. But this Georgia team looks like it. You look at how they stepped up to the plate when they played Oregon. You look at how they stepped up to the plate when they played, obviously, Tennessee. And then when their backs were against the wall against, uh, you know, Missouri, when they needed it, they looked pretty unbelievable. So uh, this team, for whatever reason, has a switch that they can flip. And, man, I think they broke the switch flipping it uh, on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, yeah, you you put it well that it was a reminder that through four weeks – everyone agreed they were the best team. Like there wasn't really a debate. They looked like the best team in the country through four weeks. And then yeah, it's hard being a defending champ. It just is. You're not, mm-hmm. it's not like, Oh, you're just being lazy and flipping a switch. I and mean, yeah, a little, but like, it's just human nature. It's really, really hard to be a defending champ, let alone when you're playing Vanderbilt or, or I don't know if they played Vanderbilt, but uh, you know, you're playing Kent state and Missouri and these teams where it's just like, and on the road sometimes it's just hard and i'm gonna just now i'm not gonna ju- i'm gonna be hard on ohio state for example when they have these clunkers because they don't have that excuse but like i'm gonna give georgia that benefit of the doubt that the two i'll count florida in there the three times they've like kind of had to get up for a game they just manhandle teams and that's who they are and i'm and i am glad you brought up that kirby's i think that is i'm coming to realize his most underrated like ability is his ability that man we've seen his like halftime speeches and stuff he's good at motivating and that's mm-hmm. you said replacing all these nfl town replacing all these starters i know lsu is a weird data point because 2020 and ls you know and ogeron stuff was messy but still that team replaced a similar amount and by the way they had top five recruiting classes like that talent you would think is there and it's just really hard because what they do at six and six they went five and five yeah or yeah, yeah. five and five and mm-hmm. it's 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 more complicated than just having talent ready and that's why it's so true that like his ability to get them up to get these guys ready it's not just having talent it's having talent where this guy's been sitting for two two three years and by the time he's up he's been trained and pre- prepared well enough that he is now an, an all sec guy that, that, is that so to me hard. is it's the mental part of it because yeah. I think there's a lot of really good coaches, right? Guys that understand the game, that understand X's and O's, that can get you on the chalkboard and they can talk with the best. And there's a lot of those guys. There's not that many that can take that knowledge and impart it and get a little piece of their brain in a 19-year-old kid's brain <laughs> that has a right. lot of other stuff going on, right? And I think that you saw that with Kirby because, yes, he's got great athletes. A lot of these guys have really high football IQ. They're really good players. But they haven't played that much. This is still a pretty young team. Tennessee is. is a very old team. That was another thing that did not go in the story that a lot of coaches talked about that they didn't talk about a lot with Tennessee is that this is such yeah. an old team. You guys have been through a lot, a ton of seniors. Obviously, Hendon Hooker is like 24, uh, 25, something like that. This is a team that's been through a lot. Georgia, you know, Kirby Smart talked about it before the season. He hit it with these guys. He said, you guys didn't do anything. Yeah, The guys who won the national championship are gone. Y'all are good players, but that – Y'all didn't do that. Well, they might do it this year, bro. Yeah. <laughs> they might do it this year. And that, and we'll you see. Could, I, I don't think Georgia's is, untouchable, but they are the best team. And this is like revisionist history, to be clear. But like that one almost build their case more that like they hadn't played as much football. They are so young. And that means they are getting better. They, yes, you totally. they, they could get better, I guess I should say. And you're seeing that like they weren't 
first off, week one, they were dominant, but they aren't just that team. They are going to keep improving. And yeah, I mean, you're at a point where they have just proven they are that good. And and I want to ask you to this because your piece was so great last week, highlighting all this. And you and you know, part of what surprised us most about it, I think the biggest thing that jumped out of there was just so I think I counted four different coaches being like, Georgia's secondary isn't what you normally expect. Keely Ringo mm-hmm. isn't that great, all that. And when I watched that game, I'm impressed with so much, right? Georgia looks great. We knew their D-line would be great. But I was blown away by Tennessee, which has everyone on their heels. Every time you get that, like, eight-yard slant, it becomes 20. They beat everyone on those downfield passes. Anyone, Every one of those quick slants that Tennessee normally gets their chunk, there was a guy draped on him, and the yes. deep balls were not there. I was the DBs are what stood out somehow. Did and that Georgia was miss a tackle weekend. on Saturday? Like that was unbelievable. And like, even when they did, it was like it was because <laughs> they missed like a four yard gain tackle, and then two guys yeah. were there in the third. Yeah, it was wild. I so just I, I ask Georgia you, like, defensively is wild. What were you saying? Yeah, like what? And I know you had a really good series of tweets on this too. Of like everyone in theory knows the way to stop this offense, but who has the talent to do it? I believe that was you, right? And I guess mm-hmm. just what stood out for you watching that of like they this was supposed to be their weakness and they were able to just shut it down. Well, I mean, I, I think it's uh, not to sound like Kirby smart or a coach, but I think it's having a plan, having yeah. players buy into that plan, having the mindset and ability to run that understand, Hey, Tennessee's offense is going to have some keys that are going to lie to you. They're going to do a lot of stuff and put you in a ton of conflict. We don't want you to be in conflict. This is what you want to do. This is yeah. the plan. This is what we're doing. Okay. You stay on top of Jalen Hyatt. He does not get beyond you. We're going to let Cedric Tillman have seven, eight-yard catches, um, and uh, and you're going to tackle him, and we're going to make them go down the field. I mean, Kirby said after the game, no layups, no layups, no layups. Some bad boys Pistons stuff from the 90s. Put Tennessee in the Jordan rules, more or less. Uh, you know, it was, it was an impressive performance. Um, and I think also uh, – so – one thing that's been interesting, uh, just the narrative around, because the, the anonymous coach talk was such a uh, – it kind of dominated a lot of the conversation last week, it I did. felt like. Um, you know, certainly – In the comments in the, our comments as well right now. Yeah. Well, certainly with the game day segment with Thamel was one thing, and then Pete did a good job. I imagine we probably had some crossover. I was <laughs> I was amazed reading that piece at how similar the comments were, that I'm yeah. sure we probably had a little bit of crossover – um, but a lot of coaches felt the same way. They just had the same and, observations, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and ultimately, uh, Matthew C. in the chat wants me to name the anonymous coaches that they're either morons or our, my source was Kirby who wanted to motivate his team. Like, how are here's they morons? Deal. We've watched Tennessee dominate. Well, here's the deal. Here. Here's they're the deal with that. Wrong. I think I think I've heard I've heard two schools of thought of like, oh, you shouldn't let anonymous coaches talk, or B, uh, you know, Kirby called in to code red from Sam Pittman to motivate his team. I've heard that one from some people. Listen, here's the deal. I watch a lot of college football. Okay. I feel like I know this sport. I understand a lot about this sport. I don't coach this sport. These guys know more than I do about the X's and O's and personnel and guys. And so I just want to call around the league and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And that's what they thought. A lot of people thought Tennessee was going to win the game. No coach that I talked to thought Georgia was going to win big. And about half of them thought Tennessee was going to win. And another couple were like, ah, I could go either way. That was not a toss-up, Brody. That was a statement win. And uh, I think that's, again, like I said, it's a narrative shifter. I don't think it's that people are idiots. I think that Georgia had shown some warts, and you weren't sure what you were going to get. And I think, too, part of it, too, is people you know, were, were willing to sort of shrug off that week one game of like, oh, that was great, but we don't really respect Bo Nix. Oregon has a first-year coach. Yes. You know, Oregon's just overrated. They shouldn't have had him number 10. 
Brody Oregon was underrated in yes. week one. We are officially like, there. Yeah. And so, and so I, I get that. I don't think I was going to shrug off like, oh, Oregon stinks, but I didn't think Oregon was going to be in the playoff conversation here in late November or that Bo Nix was going to be in the high spend conversation, Brody. Yeah. No, we'll talk. Yeah, number we two on mine now. Yeah. Yeah. We won't get into that. Um, so anyway, but, I think it's, it's, it's sitting there and, and I, I mentioned it after the game, but Georgia now has the two best wins of the season of anyone absolutely. else in the country. Yeah. And I also think it's very interesting that this group, even though they don't have the star power, they don't have the experience of last year's group, what they did against Oregon, what they did against Tennessee is better singular performances than anything last year's defense did. Last year's defense Ooh. was more consistent, was more yeah. dominant, but those two performances are better than what anything else they put on tape last year, which is that, that's astounding. That's unreal. No, it is. Or at least more like jarring and like surprising in a way. Yeah. And and just to like Matthew's point of, you know, like everyone getting this so wrong. I don't think it's everyone being wrong because I think there's going to be a thing now where everyone's like Tennessee wasn't good. And guys, we have to be yeah, able let's not, let's to not compile yeah. multiple data points to be like these. It's just a, like it's seven percent worse than we thought or whatever i'm making that number up but like yeah. it doesn't mean like they still did that every week and and we i want to get to our playoff ranking discussion in a second because i realized i might be a take artist a hot take artist that i didn't know because <laughs> i had i'm the only we need person to hit on tennessee when you're yeah. done here but see. like tennessee did get they had four different clear like get up everybody's watching this game games before mm-hmm. this game even if some of them we realize in hindsight weren't that good i i know i still think that matters i'm a big believer in that Game day was there twice, and they in got up. Perception, and, you mean? Or yes, in, in your like team going into that it, that was te- everyone was watching. Tennessee yeah. had to play their butt off, and they dominated. That offense is great. Georgia just is also great. I still yeah. would take Tennessee over all but about two or three teams in the country. I really would. Georgia just proved you how good they are. And by the way, that's not me like defending, because just so you know, I did have a Georgia minus seven and a half ticket. I did think Georgia was going <laughs> to win. So like, but I still think Tennessee's really great, and it's very foolish to get too reactionary. And I say all that to say, I had, I mean, I realized because I just looked at our piece this morning that we have, uh, the athlete, for those who haven't checked it out, The Athletic, all of our college football writers do our own, like what we think the ranking will be. I had Tennessee number three, and I'm the only person in the company who did that. Who even had? And I'm like, oh no, am I dumb? But I'm just like, they have proven more than almost any. And I get the the point that like Tennessee, like some of those wins don't look that great. That is valid, but mm-hmm. they've played a very consistently tough schedule and dominated. While these other teams in two, three, and four, they look far shakier. I don't know. Yeah, I messed up that ranking last week because I thought that. Uh, uh... I was talking to Daniel. I thought it was supposed to be what, what what we thought the top four should be. So I had it way – I was way off. And I didn't realize we were supposed to be doing a prediction. So my bad. I fixed it this week. <laughs> oh, I actually kind of just did my ranking. Yeah, I did my ranking. I did like It's what kind I of was. unclear, but I feel like – I kind of feel like – It's, a, it's for discussion anyway. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, because I made the case last week that the case for TCU at three was very strong if you really looked at it. And compared yeah. it to like Michigan because TCU um, plays tough. T- TCU doesn't have that holy crap win, but they have like six good. Yeah, wins. yeah, yeah. and their but their game control is bad, and that does matter to the committee who was talking about balance and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is listen, an SEC I, show I've seen a lot. I, I've seen a lot of even from like a small portion of Tennessee fans of like, oh, this was fool's gold. These are you know we were fraudulent the whole time, guys. Listen, like. Tennessee might might just beat Missouri by forty again. <laughs> like Tennessee's really good. Like going eleven and one in the better. SEC would be and I, amazing. Like what are we I doing? I think some here? of it. 
I think some of it, and even a couple of the coaches brought this up to me that I talked to them, was the comparisons to 2019 LSU that were coming up. Because if you look at the numbers, yeah, if you look at the numbers, they were fair. And I think Hannon Hooker has played his way into the first-round conversation. We'll see what that looks like. You know, Jalen Hyatt has played his way into the first-round conversation. All that stuff. I was never really that into it. I just didn't think that that they were overwhelming in the same way of a talent because I felt like Tennessee is a little bit more scheme. When you yeah. looked at uh, some fair. of the throws that Burrow was making and some oh, of the catches yeah. that Chase was making and, and all those guys, it was a little bit more like, oh, they're just bossing you. Whereas Kirby, Tennessee I was Kirby a little said. bit more like, yeah, it's a little more like scheming you up for Tennessee yeah. where, where Jalen Hyatt's running – uncontested up 60 yards down the sideline no. no disrespect that's great you still have to make the throw but i felt like some of the throws that, that burrow was having to make were tougher throws and tougher catches and they were just like mossing you at every turn no i remember kirby said for the sc championship game he's like they're not doing anything like new or shocking scheme wise like there's nothing mm-hmm. like like it's a good scheme they're they're smart but it's, it's like georgia right georgia's just smart they're not like on some new scheme, but like they're just that good. But yeah. to the, the the comp thing, it's why comps are ruined, unfortunately, forever. Because I knew what the comps were actually saying, and you brought them up very smartly many times, guys. It isn't saying, and I guess we need to over clarify. I don't know. The comp isn't necessarily you think that this Tennessee team is as good as it's saying, and this happens with basketball comps the most, right? It's saying mm-hmm. there are some really interesting, like in a in in a relative sense, similarities to how this is happening. Cause they both very much feel like lightning in a bottle out of nowhere, a little bit, and just a bunch of things came together perfectly to just like create something that doesn't really rationally make sense of how good they are. It's the, a coach who neither, like it's the coaching thing. Neither coach is really expected to be that great. The older mm-hmm. quarterback, it's the lightning in the bottle aspect and the defense stuff that feels so similar. It's not, they are as good. So the comp's not wrong. It's, it's just like, it's like how, like, if you say somebody has a James Harden s game, that means you're saying he's James Harden. It's like, no, no, they just play similarly, like, in scale. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee was seven and five last year. You talk to people around Knoxville or people, you know, that are Tennessee fans, they'd say, well, we're probably gonna be better this year, but the schedule's tough. So eight and four, you know, if everything falls the right way, yeah. you know, nine and three, maybe we'll sniff ten wins. Nobody was saying. Well, you know, we'll beat Alabama, obviously. obviously. Uh, we'll beat Florida. And then, we'll you be- know, the Georgia game. If we beat Georgia, you know, then we'll surely be in the playoff. Uh, yeah. And then if we lose to Georgia, we'll have a good shot. At the- we'll be really that frustrated that Florida made a close. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was not going to be the conversation. So I didn't really ever buy into the idea that this team was anywhere on LSU's offense's level. I thought the talent was way better um, yeah. on LSU's offense. Um, but the production, the numbers were uh, were about right. But and they still are. Um, yeah. And if, but I will say, if they had done to Georgia what they had done, then it's real. To everyone else, yeah. then I would have said, okay, all right. I guess you're going to have to say that this team is is on that it's, level. Um, but they're not. Real. Yeah. But they're still really good. They're going to have a great shot at the playoff. I don't think you gotta you gotta go on the road at South Carolina and take care of business against yeah. a pretty feisty South Carolina team. <laughs> But I don't know that Missouri and Vanderbilt match up with them well at all. I don't think Tennessee is going to have a lot of scary hour sort of situations. And they need a little bit of help. I'd have to look at it a little bit more closely. But I think as long as you – like the, the scenario where Tennessee gets left out, I think, is if you have a classic the game where it's decided, yes. for, you know, it's yeah. like an overtime, and then TCU doesn't lose. They got a ton of help. Alabama is gone, so you don't have a one-loss Alabama SEC champion that you got to worry about. I don't think a two-loss LSU gets in over a one-loss 
especially not with the way that they played. Ooh, let's Dead get to Valley. that in a second then, because that's actually. I don't fun. think I don't think that is a possibility. I just don't see that at all. Even if my LSU gut beats says Georgia. you're right, but the hard thing will be one. There's just no precedent for somebody like winning the SEC and not getting. Well, in. and the head to head is like that's just you can't really you can't do it with the head to head. You can't. But Tennessee that's the thing. They will have beaten the Georgia. They will have wins against at that point Georgia, Ole Miss. They will have three top ten wins basically. Yeah, in but that you're still scenario. talking about a one loss team versus a two loss team that also at the end of the day beat them on their home field by like what was oh i see the tennessee lsu okay that's just i don't know the answer like i think that you could argue it so convincingly either side and this is all now maybe now maybe that's that's the scenario where you get three sec teams well that's a real possibility that's not out of that's not out of the possibility because tcu might slip up too like let's not rule that out and then you need tcu to to lose now tcu is a touchdown underdog on the road this week at texas with game day in tow you know i don't know what to make of tcu they've been behind a lot but they're winning they're having a lot of fun uh i'm a big sonny dykes fan the hypno yeah, powers so. are are leaning into i'm right about tcu a little, a little bit this week brody actually, nice. so i think it's we'll fair see, to say but, like tcu is probably not one of the four best teams but they deserve to be there yeah right? exactly that's the best way exactly. to put it like they, i think so yeah they've but no the thing with the lsu debate that's going to be so tough and why this ranking i think this week will tell us a lot too is the committee, and you can argue this either way you want to, because I'm not saying I think they should, it's just I don't know what happens, is, and first off, they probably don't beat Georgia, so who cares? But, like, the committee could spin it as, okay, they lost those two games, but then who are they now? And they will have, since that loss, three of the six best wins in all of college football this year, and it's Mm -hmm. like that, in this scenario, that version of LSU that would have just won the SC title game, there's no way you could argue they don't deserve to go in the four best teams. So it's like, that's what's tough. And I don't know what you do because yeah, you can't, you can't, they've never been a two loss team. Right. I don't think that's ever happened, but you've also uh, never seen the SEC. Tennessee's a roadblock for even an SEC champion LSU. And you'd have to have three SEC yeah. teams in if you're going to put LSU in because Georgia obviously doesn't matter what happens. But then that head to head thing you're saying like, but then LSU beating Georgia kind of neutralizes that. I don't think so. I don't okay. think so because you're still talking about a one-loss team versus a two-loss team. Yeah, I just don't know the answer. Uh, but I want to ask you then, where do you have Tennessee in your ranking? Because I think the Tennessee-Oregon thing will also be really interesting where they rank them right now. I had them four this week. I think you could make a case either way between them and TCU. Yes. Um, I do think that the TCU game control stuff is real. I do. I think, I think the committee will do to TCU what they did last week in that I think they looked at Alabama and they said – well, Alabama went on the road to Tennessee. They lost a close game. Tennessee's our number one team. And TCU's undefeated, but if TCU played that game, they would have lost that game. And we think if TCU and Alabama played on a neutral field, right or wrong, they're going to lose. That's why I think Alabama was ahead of TCU last week. Yes. I think they'll do the same thing to Tennessee this week. In that, I think you're right. Well, Tennessee went on the road to Georgia. They lost by two touchdowns, but we think if TCU did that, they would do the same thing, and TC and Tennessee's uh, game control is better than TCU. Yes. They have better wins, um, so I think Tennessee will will hold on to that four spot ahead of TCU. I TCU keeps so. TCU keeps winning. Uh, they'll probably get over Tennessee at some point, but I don't think they're there just yet now. And of course, when they have uh, a conference champion piece, that matters at the end. That will so help TCU a lot. goes yeah. all the way and wins the SEC or wins the Big Twelve. Obviously, they'll go above Tennessee. But this week, I think Tennessee hangs on to the four spot. And for I sure. gotta say, also for the Tennessee fans listening, they haven't been paying attention to the rankings for good reason yeah. for the last seven or eight years. They do not operate in the same way that the polls do. You can win and drop. It happens. It happens yes. all the time. Nobody knows better than TCU, who, if Oof. I recall correctly, 
was sitting there at number three on the last weekend of the season in 2014, won 55 to three on the road at Iowa State and dropped from three to five. I really don't know how it's <laughs> a fan. I'd like, I would never get over that. I actually don't think I ever yes. could get over that. It um, happens, guys. So that listen, the, the polls do not operate in the same way that the committee does. You don't have to lose the drop. So the fact that yeah. Tennessee is probably going to be four on Tuesday does not mean that, oh, we're good. We're good. Which no. is going to make this the most interesting, <laughs> maybe the most interesting week of the year for it, because it's like, okay, how do they react to Ohio State playing that badly? How do they react mm-hmm. to the Tennessee loss, but it's, they still have the best resume, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, do they change their mind on things? Or Because, yeah, they had a lot of stuff go, not wrong, but like kind of look bad this week. And it's just how, do they, not admit they're wrong, but do they adjust week to week on performance or do are they still looking at more of the grand scheme? And I know it doesn't, they, the answer is probably no, because Ohio State Michigan will still play. So they're like, we don't have to solve this problem. And that's probably the right answer. But I just want to know, like, where's Oregon compared to Tennessee? Where's TCU mm-hmm. compared to Tennessee? Because that will be telling in four weeks. And by the way, Michigan's better than Ohio State, but uh, the oh committee will find the I committee will find that out of Michigan eight plus eight and a half. Uh, and I'm yeah, like, it's, love that. Right. <laughs> Brody, we got to get on, uh, first of all, before we get to the game itself. Oh, my God. Brody's star turn as the cover boy for the Baton Rouge <laughs> Advocate. So uh, we got to see this this photo. If you have not seen it, um, we'll bring it up on the screen. Our producer, John, will bring it up. This is the cover of the Baton Rouge <laughs> Advocate on Sunday morning. Bright and early uh, and right front center, we have the co-host of Football and Grits, uh, Brody Miller, looking I- Looking great, uh, right between Jaden Daniels and uh, who is this? I, I, uh, I'm Ooh, blanking on the name. I don't know. Back. Either way, uh, Brody, you're looking good. I will say, so for those who aren't familiar with kind of how this all works, so most writers will watch the game in the press box, and then with about like you know five to ten minutes left, we'll come down to the field. I, I get a lot of color on the field. I like to come down. Yeah. I missed it a lot during the COVID era. Most fields were, were blocked off. So uh, – Brody just happened to be in the right or wrong place, depending on your interpretation uh, at the wrong time of a, uh, a classic game. You got a much better game. You got a field storming as well. The second in two games, three second weeks, two consecutive games. Yeah. How about um, that? I need to see those analytics. If anybody's uh, stormed the field, two consecutive games, especially at a, a power program like LSU, half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. But as I pointed out, I believe that is one two hundredth of what they will be paying Brian Kelly. So if you phrase it like that, <laughs> who the hell cares? But- so, Brody, I'll, I'll tee this up for you. I, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, like that a game was an uh, – I don't know that I'd call it a narrative shifter because I've been I've been iffy on Bama all you year. You have been full throttle on I've been, that. I've been I hate giving you hitting credit, the, I've been were, hitting the alarm bells. I've been like, I thought you were guys. so dramatic when you were just like, <laughs> they're going to lose to Tennessee. They're not that good. And I'm just like, I get it. But that's dramatic. And it's like, no, you were right. Tip of the cap. I think people were enamored with Bama on paper. And I wrote about it this morning. Like, returning starters. The Adjmir Gibbs. Bryce Young's Eisen winner. They have Will Anderson. They were enamored with what they saw on paper. And weren't watching the games. But, well, they just didn't play well at Texas. Texas isn't that good. Texas is a three-loss team. And they got taken to the brink by Texas' backup quarterback, right? Yes. Like, they just – A&M's not very good. And A&M took them to the brink. Like, I, I, I don't – so I've been on the Bama is not great this year all all year because who knows, Brody? I've been watching the games and watching Bama and Thank saying you. this this team this team 
this this is not my kind of team right here. This is not getting it done. Um, so I I thought they'd beat LSU, but but ultimately, so I don't think it's a narrative shifter. But what does this tell you, Brody, about first off LSU in year one to yeah. there's still a lot of football to be played, but they're in, got the inside track to winning the West in year one yeah. under Brian Kelly with a team that had a lot of moving parts. And and then what do you feel like this says about Bama ultimately? Um, you were there in person. What do you make of of, of your your takeaways from that game? Yeah. Uh, first off, I'd like to say I I think the editor was in a tough cropping job there because it's like you don't. <laughs> they probably just wanted to focus in on me, but it's hard with how little space you have to crop Jaden Daniels and the Alabama defender out. Well, you got to do what you got to do. You can't have a super thin. Man that would be tough. It'd be like I would have done that. Yeah, I would have done that. The blurriness but, but I would really stink. <laughs> um, I'm a little embarrassed. My jeans are a little dad genie, a little a little baggy. I thought they fit a little snugger, but that's a little bagginess. So I got to work on that. Um, <laughs> But all the rest, I'm pretty confident. I got a it's bit of a... so funny because at the end of the day, like they t- journalism school day one, you are not the story. I am and, the story. And <laughs> the front page of the paper, one of the biggest wins for LSU probably since 19, right? Uh, yeah, Brody, oh, definitely. Brody's just making a derp face, just looking like the front I'm zoning page out. Of the paper. I got, I got home from Georgia at like 2.30 a.m. And that was the first thing I saw. And I saw there was a conversation in our work Slack about it. And then I saw your tweet about it. And I was, oh, my gosh, so funny. Incredible. It's my girlfriend's <laughs> having fun with it. Uh, but so I think my real reaction watching that game was I was I think those were two really great defenses. I Like, mm-hmm. it's funny how sometimes a fourth quarter can ruin the story of a whole game, because for three quarters, it was it was now Bama's offense just has questions, but. That LSU defense, I mean, both defenses were flying around. Bama's defense looked good. And they are ranked as, like, the number five SB plus defense. That defense is mm-hmm. a little slept on. And it, <laughs> thanks, Reagan. Brody's the most <laughs> important part of the whole weekend. I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think this was a beautiful defensive game where both defensive lines were just causing havoc. And, yes, I think we are now officially nine games in, ready to just say with all the compilation of everything that's happened this year, Alabama is not that great. They are probably, like <laughs> – the 13th best team in the country or 12 like that's just what they are and that's rare but it's just the reality but i think this game i think it's fair to accept that and still say this game was always going to be a referendum on okay were the old miss games and the florida games just kind of hey they figured it out for two weeks nice little outliers but they're still this kind of just flawed vulnerable team or is lsu is that just really them turning a corner and i think coming out of that game i feel very confident at this point saying like they belong like they are actually a team that again don't think they're top four but they are a top eight team in the country and i now feel confident about that because those things that seem like man that defense just finally figured it all out or Jaden daniels finally figured it all out is that real though i think you have enough three tough game data point to say Jaden daniels really is a really great quarterback and might even be a like a dark horse to get invited to New York, which is just crazy to say after like three. Like, oh my god. I would have believed you in April, but I would not yes. have believed you in October. There's no way. Like it was a problem. And now it yeah. is he is the guy elevating them. It's unbelievable. So that's what jumps out. It's just like we keep saying every week, like, man, that's coaching, right? A team gets better. That's not the norm. And to see them actually be uh I think the week three version of this team was probably the 30th best team in the country. Like mm-hmm. that's who they were. And now they're probably the six or seven. That's wild. And the defense is officially there. Like that secondary even impressed me. That's supposed to be the weakness, all that they made big plays throughout the game. 
And now they finally are at this zone with Harold Perkins and Ojolari and this, this pass rush just getting after teams. That front seven next to Georgia is as tough as anyone in college football. Clemson's was supposed to be amazing. It's not the normal Clemson front you expect. Like, this is an elite front. Harold Perkins, I almost don't know what to say. Like, I keep saying, like, man, he's not just the best freshman. He might be the best, one of the five best. Like, he's one of the most talented players in college football right now. It is it is absurd. He, he There's things he's doing that you're like, I don't even know if Devin White was doing that. So, yeah, I think we're at a point where LSU is just pretty darn good. And a lot of that – and we'll get to, like, what this tells you about Brian Kelly in a second. But, man, yeah. they belong. I had people harassing me for not talking about Harold Perkins in my SEC review. Uh, he, was, <laughs> okay. he, he was unbelievable. Either way, I think, you know, I was down on LSU to start the season, and I felt like that Florida State game confirmed it. But I called him uh, in the piece I wrote this morning. I called him the most improved team in the SEC because that's what it oh, is. Yeah. They have turned me into a believer. I, I I really liked what I saw from them. For I think the Ole Miss game was the game that made me sit up and say, oh, yep. I think I might have been wrong about this team. And maybe not so much wrong as if that team just changed. Yeah, you uh, weren't wrong. Watching, I think that's the watching key. Florida gotta, yeah. State, I was kind of like – because I kind of thought LSU looked like a 6-7 win team to start the season. And when I watched Florida State – I said, well, that looks like about a six or seven win Or the game. Auburn game. They played terrible. Yeah. And they won, sure, but that was not a good football team. Mm-hmm. But they are a really good team right now. And I think ultimately, I don't know, I think Bama's probably closer to one of the top seven, eight, nine, ten teams in the country, probably. Yeah. But if you can beat them, you know, you're going toe-to-toe with them. And, and I think that wasn't fluky at all. Like, LSU was just their equal for 60 minutes. Um, but it's, you know. It, it is a it was an impressive performance um, at the end of the day. And so the 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 LSU part of it is the, the fact that you can go from um, sitting there and being a team that looked really average in week one. to now you're sitting here in November and you look like probably not a playoff team, but not not a playoff team. I guess if we can say yeah. like. I got to say, Brody, that might be why you pay a coach, you know, $100 million. million. (laughs) And I think the best way to frame that part of it is that this year results didn't matter. Like, it's not about, like, how good they are this year. It was never going to be about that. This year was about, even if you went seven and five, it was going to be about, like, does it look like it's going to work? Does it look like there's the building blocks and the progress? That's just all it was. So they might go nine and three. They might go 10 and two, like all that stuff. Well, it should, should go 10 and two. But it was never about that. But what it shows now is like, oh, you actually can buy in on the future now. And Mm -hmm. again, I'm not saying I believe this one to one because it's not how it works. But it's literally evidence now that the one thing you look back on those Notre Dame years was this guy clearly is one of the best program runners in the country. But clearly when he played the Alabamas and the Clemsons, like he couldn't overcome the talent gap. Mm -hmm. And that's a complicated discussion because how much is he why there was a talent gap? That's really like you could spend hours debating that. But and I don't know my feelings, but this is the first year he has that kind of SEC talent. By the way, this isn't even that great of an LSU team. Anyone would agree with that. Clear holes in this roster. The first year he has that kind of talent. He beats Bama, beats a top 10 Ole Miss like he's doing this stuff. And it's like, oh, maybe that theory is real. Like maybe that theory is real. If you give him five star classes he will win a national title. And that is a fair take now. With that that's now. the thing. I think that's the big question for me that coming out of that game is what does this mean for Brian Kelly moving forward? Because I think the dream, if you're uh, an LSU fan and why you hire Brian Kelly, you say, well, he can do the same things at Notre Dame where he wins 10 games every year. Yeah. And then he wins 12 and 13, you know, in the expanded playoff 14, 15, maybe in peak years. Yep. And I, you know, and, and you have to wonder, okay, does this translate? Can he recruit in Louisiana? 
Uh, Notre Dame certainly plays a, a weaker schedule than you would playing in the SEC West. You don't quite have the same like week to week, you know, just beatdowns. But they, you know, when you have uh, the the roster that he's going to have at LSU, considering like you said that this, I mean, fair to say, Brody. I mean, you, you can't look into the future. But yeah. if you told me this will be the worst roster that Brian Kelly ever has at LSU, Ooh, probably I would say probably. Right? Probably fair. Yep. Not very deep, patched together, has some holes. Obviously, you have some standouts, but you got a lot of. That's why I really was not into this team. I was like, they're really talented. They got some really great dudes at the top, but you need more than that. Like Georgia shows, you need like eight guys, you yep. know, that you can lean on. And when when guys go down, when Nolan Smith gets hurt, you got to have guys to step in. I was like, or LSU doesn't have that, but it hadn't seemed no, to matter this yep. year. Um. So. And to build on that, is this, like, is this a situation where he's going to be a ten win, eleven win coach every single year? That's that 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 is interesting because you can get scary. a guy with that with that pedigree, and it works this quickly, this well. You have to wonder. You have to wonder, and it's also like, and I, also I just want to quickly say, recruiting is the real question, right? Like, yes, he has some talent, but like, can he like be? Can they get you to the Georgia Bamas? I don't know if he's going to have one, two classes, but just so you know, he's the number four class in college football right now. In the days before the game, he got another top 150 offensive lineman. So they have now like three top 150 linemen, which is so key for LSU. And then he got a five-star quarterback in 2024 and Colin Harley days before this game. And Mm -hmm. then they got another commitment within like 30 minutes after the game. And they're looking really good now for two top 50 corners and Desmond Ricks and Javon Taviano. Like this like might be the number two or three class in the country now. And Mm -hmm. and that is something that even two months ago, I'm just like, Brian Kelly's going to have a nice top eight class and that's a good year but like let's pump the brakes and now it's actually really rolling but the the thing that i think is also fascinating is and i don't want to overreact to this but i've always wondered with your brian kelly's like how cool how do i put this like we watch them win for so long how good of an actual like coach are you and it's not like i'm saying you're not i just have this there's this weird like separation that happens when a coach just steadily wins for a long time and it's like Mm -hmm. is he just a program guy but he's not like a great coach i just don't know and I think you're seeing this year the coaching. You're seeing like Jaden Perkins gets Jaden Daniels gets better. This defense gets better. O line went from bad to a strength. All that stuff. And it's like you had two weeks to go against Alabama, and LSU kind of out coached them, which was shocking to watch. Like they had that defense on their toes. The way they were using Daniels RPOs, they always had them off balance. They countered pressure so well, and they made Matt House. I think is one of the best coordinators. I think we talked about this last week too. Like. Matt House is an elite defensive coordinator. I really like that hire when they made it. I, so I said that's, that's that's kind of outside the box, but it makes it checks so many boxes. Because he was like, so I good at Kentucky, mm-hmm. yeah, and now has the NFL background. And he like he he proved Mississippi State game and this game proved the most. Like he's so good at breaking tendency and getting pressure in ways that like, hey, you know, teams are going to do this, but then he still brings pressure in a way that you're not expecting it to come and just makes life so difficult. So man, like they out coach them in a lot of ways. So it's like. I'm now kind of coming around on like Brian Kelly's just a good football coach too. And you're seeing that like, okay, you give that talent. Yeah. man. like, there's no, I don't think they're going to be like a playoff contender next year. They'll probably be in this same zone. You know, that same zone of like, Hey, you can go 10 and two, be really good. But you're three, man. There's no reason this team shouldn't be actually up there. If he does Daniels have one more year. He does. And that is another fun. I thought he did. 
I don't think he's a guy that should leave early, but I I think he he you know what a full off season for him will be very interesting. But you just never know what those like four year starter guys of like mm-hmm. it's like I think I brought this up that like it's like a center in college basketball where it's like a lot of times it just makes sense to go even if you're not going to get your stock's not going to improve because just like I'd rather just well, go in the, in the NIL era it matters too you know Ooh, it's a little point. bit different in football you get some but money, yeah. if you can make some money and your stock's not going to be meaningfully changed I don't I, you know I. I think Jane Daniels, in terms of pro prospect, probably is who he is. I, I feel like another year would help him, especially in this offense. Um, you know, it's a little bit different in basketball where your options are go to Europe and make six figures or stay and play yeah. on national TV and probably make about the same amount of money if you're a star, you know, the yeah. Drew Timmies of the world. Uh, which, by the way, Brody, I found out last week the college basketball starts like tomorrow. Today. Today. Today whatever. Anyway. Yeah, wild. Uh, sneaks up on you. But, uh, I think, you know, the LSU flip is so interesting because for the longest time, Brody, under Les Miles, under Ed Orgeron, everybody's like, oh, they got OBJ, you know, they got the Honey Badger, they got all these guys and they're winning, but they're kind of winning in spite of their coach, right? Nobody respects Les Miles, nobody respects Ed Orgeron, even though they're national champions and all that stuff. And this team is not playing up to its talent level. And now all of a sudden, probably – Brody, is this the least talented LSU team in 15 years? That Top to bottom. I don't want to pretend bottom. I know the answer to that, but it's in that conversation. Yeah, that's It's fair. not a great team. Yeah. And then the coaching is kind of flipped on you, and now they're, yeah. they're like maximizing this. I, I, it's the, the, the narrative flip is, is very – This is, LSU is like one of the most interesting teams in the country just yeah. because they have changed so much from the team that we saw lose to Florida State. I mean, that – the offense was a disaster. The defense was kind of whatever. And then the special teams, you know, errors at the end, but end up losing you again. Like, yeah, it's insane. So, I have a whole theory on why LSU is the most interesting team in college football, like in a 30 year prism. And it's, I think it's because I think they're generally agreed to be a top five or six job, right? I think some put them as mm-hmm. high as like three. Yeah. It's the only one of those that their base, though, is kind of more like nine and three, 10 and two. And mm-hmm. they are, the only one of those jobs that what happens on the field is a literal referendum on the coaching and like how good you can run that program. You're probably right. That's so they're perfect. Cause it's like, you can go nine and three and you're fine. Like you have the resources to be the best team in the country at LSU. You have the talent, the, the, the resources, the money, all that stuff, but like, but you're not expected to. And you also have the scenarios where because of a bunch of problems and weird stuff, you can go six and six there so it's the only one of those where it's like, how good are you is immediately reflected, I think. Mm. I, so it's like, I don't know. It's the best job to cover, best team to cover because it's going to be a lightning rod. If they go seven and five, it's a disaster. If they go 12 and 0, it's also shocking or like a story. So it's, the, it's mm-hmm. so fun. It's interesting. Reagan wants to know, Reagan Tran wants to know if Jaden Daniels comes back. I'd have to call Dane Brugler and ask exactly how NFL people see him. Um, I, I, you know, I, he doesn't look like a, a guy that should be coming out no. to me. Um, but you never really know. And maybe that changes over the next month. Guys can change. I feel like he would benefit from another year. I would say just me talking. Surely not. But I could be wrong. I need to see what, where his stock is because I don't yeah. – he's not a name that I have heard a lot where, like, NFL people are kind of like, oh, hey, we're no. watching this kid. So he would we'll he will probably, like, go – just because of his athleticism, someone will take a chance in, like, the sixth round, fifth or sixth round, right? Like, that feels, like, right. But it's – I, I think as we said earlier, like I just always wonder with the four-year starter, it's just like, do I just go and try to get in the NFL and try to like 
get in the system and figure it out because like is it going to get better i don't know but and all, but he, the other thing that helps his case though for coming back i didn't know this until recently he's still only 21 fourth year guy he's 21 so it's like staying isn't necessarily hurting you or anything like that mm-hmm. you, he could point to the growth but you could also argue because he's playing this well right now like is his stock ever going to be like more you know higher and people focusing on it maybe it just is what it yeah. is and you, you take a chance Brody, looking elsewhere in the division, yeah. Auburn finally pulled the trigger uh, on Brian Harson. Uh, the program was kind of stuck in purgatory for weeks. I mean, where everyone kind of knows this is coming. Uh, Brody, Auburn's got a little juice. Before we get to the future, yeah, the now coach caddy. Uh, I mentioned it in my column. I, I we should have had the video queued up. I don't have it. Uh, for, for our producer, but the pregame interview with Cole Kublick, uh, you know, Cadillac couldn't help but get a little emotional, um, sort of taking in the moment. And I think you look at his postgame talk uh, with his players that Auburn tweeted out as well from about three or four minutes. Dude, like, there's something different. Like, w- there's something different from a fan base and how they resonate with guys when you can tell how much that school means to them, that this is not just a job to you, that this is not just, Oh, I'm finally a head coach or, or, or whatever. And dude, I am convinced that if you cut open Cadillac Williams, he's just going to be bleeding blue and orange. Like the yeah. dude loves Auburn and that means something, but you also got to show it on the field. And obviously a really shaky start for Auburn 24, three, they go down. And I think for them to rally, take the lead, even though they did lose uh, to a pretty good Mississippi State team, that team played really, really hard. And I think what you're going to see in Auburn on Saturday night, uh, a really special atmosphere. I think. Um, I think this program is ready to move forward. The Harson hire. I don't. You know. I think Brian Harson can be a good coach. I think he'll have yeah, a good second act somewhere. I, if I'm Colorado, I'm looking at him. Ooh, I'm in Arizona State. That. I might look at him. Um, anyway, but they're ready to move forward. And man. Cadillac, I got the dude is the dude. Like you can see why the players respond to him. Like the dude knows Auburn, loves Auburn, and people just react differently when coaches that are leading their program they can feel that. And he's really inexperienced, man. He doesn't have a lot of experience coaching. We'll see what you know. I think whoever takes the Auburn job, we'll get to that in a second, has got to keep him on staff. You need those guys one to help you understand because whoever. Auburn yep. hires is probably not going to have the same kind of hire, uh, ties. And you need that guy in your office to say, hey, man, the Auburn diehards or you as somebody who knows the school and loves the school, what is what do you think about this? You know, when you're saying, oh, we don't want to take this hometown kid or, oh, we want to do this yeah. thing or that thing or you make big program changes or, you, how you, you know, every coach puts their stamp on the program and sometimes it alienates the OGs of a program. That's true. And having Cadillac in the house, I, you know, I feel like you got you to gotta retain him. Um and he's a pretty good running back. Uh, I feel like he looks like he can still go. By the way, God, I feel he does. Like... He, he looks like he can still go for <laughs> six hundred yards a year in the NFL right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. So anyway, uh, you know, we'll see. But what did you make of of the Tigers uh, without uh, Brian Harson on the sidelines? Yeah, I think the way you put it, I think, is important. That it's like, yeah, I'm kind of like Williams is going to get the job or anything like that. But it's about like Auburn has become a joke. Unfortunately, like they have yeah. become. A laughing stock, and I think what mattered there is 
these next four weeks or whatever is kind of just getting a sense of God, I hate not being this corny, but a sense of love back, a sense of like I'll bring the pride back. To yeah, play. the pride. That's a good way to put it. And like you said, it's going to be an amazing environment Saturday and just like getting it back. So by the time you make this higher, the fans are back into an extent. They mm-hmm. care, I guess, a little. Uh, there's just a little bit of like better PR, even though it's not like not literally, but that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that is relevant. And it's funny because we both have always been on like Auburn's not bad, bad. They are just poorly managed in so many ways. They've never, they've never on the field. They, they've never devolved into like, oh my gosh, like territory. Chad Morris, Arkansas, or something. They've like just that. been yeah. like, uh, this team kind of stinks. Like, yeah, that's as <laughs> bad as they've been. They've never it. really like, gotten like really ugly. Yeah, like they've played everyone close, but yeah, I think that means something also to come back like that and to mm-hmm. to miss. It. We both are very high on that team, Mississippi State team, so it, it does say something. Well, that's the thing is I think you – in that situation, your coach gets fired, you're down three touchdowns, you're on the road, you know, there's a lot of reasons to fold. And Auburn did not. Robbie Ashford played really well, uh, made a ton of plays. He was running hard. So I think for them to come back the way that they did does speak to a lot of the investment in the program. Now, if you're Auburn, what do you do? If it's me, Brody, yeah, I'm putting the full court press on Lane Kiffin. Yep. I don't – if I'm Lane, I'm not doing it. I, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, I, I like what I got at Ole Miss. I'm not fully convinced um, that that's that I can, you know. Oh, if you're if you're Lane, I feel like if you're gonna make one more move, it has to be the place that you're just gonna be, right? Or a place that's clearly a step up. Yeah. Yes, and I think Auburn certainly historically is a better job than Ole Miss, and, and I think he could do well there. But if I'm saying this is gonna be the job for me, the next job. You can be selective. You're Lane Kiffin. He's got Ole Miss going. He's got some capital there. Uh, you know, you, you, it's not going to be a situation where you're the hot name that then becomes, you know, not the hot name very soon after. I, I think I call that the Matt Campbell corollary right now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. like, you're not going to be that guy. Like, you have a long history of having success in a lot of different places in a lot That's of different true. ways. So, you know a thing or two about coaching. So, if I'm Kiffin, I'm staying away from Auburn. But if I'm Auburn, I'm going whatever it takes to get Lane so, to be my head coach. That's where I'm going. Yeah. The only thing that's like, and I will not pretend I have any insight into Lane Kiffin, but like he, we all heard, right, that he was kind of like, he's, what, what you do is more than what you say. And it's like, he was pretty interested in Miami last year, right? Like he kind of did poke around on that, I thought. And wasn't he also kind of interested in Auburn two years ago? Like, I don't know if that's agenting or just leverage or just like, hey, it's interesting. I'll look into it. But like, maybe he views it differently than we do, but I do agree with you mm-hmm. in the grand sense. Uh, I think Andy Staples point has always been right. Like there are only X amount of jobs where there's evidence you can win a national title. And maybe a lot of coaches still do view it as like Auburn has proven mm-hmm. they can. So like Ole Miss has never proven they can. Now I want to ask you this before I get to like my answer is how much do you think, and I don't, I'm really fascinated by this right now. Auburn is probably a top 10 job in the country, right? Like in theory, like I know the alignment stuff is a real thing, but historically it's a top 10 job. And a part of that is you're probably the third biggest program in the West, fourth or fifth in the SEC as a whole. Like you clearly have a roadmap to being great if you have the right hire. But does it change at all with Oklahoma and Texas coming? And not in terms of like, that's a better job, but just like, does your place in your path change when you're one day like, the fifth best in the SEC, third best in the West, to now you're like the eighth, ninth biggest job out of 16. 
Like, does that just change the framing of how good that is? I don't know. The answer might be no, because maybe the SEC is now just so powerful that it's actually like a better job. I don't know. But what do you think? Well, big picture, I think things change. I think there's an element of things are cyclical. In some places, the booster element just never goes away. Texas is one of those where you just – and Auburn seems to be one of those. Uh, I think we mentioned last week. I forget. Uh, I've been on the radio. I don't remember. Like, even for all the success that Gus Malzahn had, I feel like he was on the hot seat for like six years. Every year. I don't want to, like, I I just wouldn't want to deal with that. And I think the the alignment stuff, you can talk about history, you can talk about what might be, you can talk about the future. But on some level, that's a now. And as a head coach, you know, you talk about control the controllables. I'm not sure you can control, like, the booster influence. Brian Harson did a lot of things to make himself in a worse position didn't really ingratiate himself to that, the recruiting aspect of it. And then, of course, on the field, the most important part, didn't get it done. But as far as how Booster saw him. They were out day one. Yeah, you can't really control that. And I I would have a lot of hesitancy to jump into that. Um, and I Because that's now. That's real. And I think it's different if you're a guy like a Brian Harson or like a Hugh Freeze or a place that you might not have another option. Okay, if you want to get in the SEC and you want to go to this big job, Auburn, I might run there. Obviously, Hugh Freeze would do that. Um, you know, I think you know we'll see. You know that that Brian Harson seemed really into going to Auburn, yeah. right? But if I'm Lane Kiffin or I'm a coach like a Brian Kelly or like a Lincoln Riley, like I've said for this coaching carousel last year, kind of reset your expectations. Or if you're a coach like oh, God, I said yeah. in the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, leagues that are declining because of the shifting sands of college football if i have some picks and if i have a lot of options do i want to jump into the auburn pool yeah i I, me i'd have some misgivings i don't really want people going over my head making up stuff about my family uh you know when when i didn't meet your expectations or i wasn't who you wanted to be Uh, that that it's a problem it is uh i mean this is the same reason i what was it brent venables said rather explicitly uh, that yeah. Auburn had talked to him and said, you know, he was very uncomfortable with, with the, a lot of the alignment issues and, and all that stuff. And so I, it's and a real thing. Napier, that was part of why he didn't go for yeah, it. Two years ago. It's a yeah. real thing. And so some coaches may disagree with me and maybe Auburn hires a great coach, but I'm telling you this stuff will affect it. And, and it might not affect it on the field. And if you're winning, Hey, winning heals everything. But like I said, Gus Malzahn won a lot. He beat Bama a lot. And it still felt like he was on the hot seat for like six years. And I so, just don't know that I want to live that way. Yeah. So to my, uh, I think I, I think we both kind of think this way. Like I am so anti like the exciting hire most of the time, almost any time. Like I can promise <laughs> you as someone like covered LSU that their last coaching cycle and someone who lives in Louisiana, every friend I have was just in my ear about LSU has to hire Lane Kiffin, has to. And I was like, no, that is the opposite of what LSU needs right now. They need, they don't need like the sexy scheme coach right now or the guys, they need a guy who is a CEO who will like build it right. It's why I even thought Mark Stoops would have been a good hire. Mm-hmm. Now, so I preface that all that to say, Auburn is, I think, in one of the very rare situations right now where I kind of think you need a juice hire. I think you need like a guy who is going to just like add a buzz, not just because you need to change the PR and all that, but because of the booster thing. 
I think they need somebody that is going to be like exciting and somebody who the boosters are just going to get like, heck yeah, what do you want and follow him? And I'll have at least a few years of cushion. And that's not, even though I like, I love the idea of Mark Stoops at Auburn. I don't think that's happening, but like, I love that idea. Yeah. I think think that would be a bad move because I think it would be polarizing. I think it would be like half the boost, even talking to some people who cover Auburn, like half those boosters would be like, yes, half would be like, absolutely not. I want my scheme guru guy. And I, I think it would lead to a problem. I think Elaine would absolutely get that juice. Everyone, the boosters would be like, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Recruits would be like, that is now the cool transfer portal school to go to. Not just because he's the portal king, but like you could see the path to being great in a year. And mm-hmm. you would recruit better. And you need somebody that you're not going to be better than Bama in a vacuum. But you need somebody that's going to, I keep saying like the punch guy. Like the guy who's just like, but you could punch at Bama every other year or something like that because you got a Lane Kiffin. So I think Lane makes sense for that reason. So then the question is, if we agree it's not Lane that like he might not want to take it, which I don't know, who's next there? Because I don't know if they'd go Dion. And the interesting thing here, because this doesn't check this box, the highest odds right now by far are Jeff Grimes, which... I had a couple I, people talk to me about that. I'm a big Jeff Grimes guy. I love him. Uh, he's amazing. I think he's a great coach. I think when he, he has Auburn you know, connections. When he did when he did at BYU with uh, uh Zach Wilson, Wilson that was un, was unbelievable. Uh, and also he's like six eight, so that's good. He's very tall. Ooh, <laughs> he's extremely tall. I I so uh, boosters try to mess up his life like whole window. I know he's yeah. uh, he's got that uh, offensive lineman blood in it, but uh, no, he's. Um, that's like a good example of like really not a sexy hire. And I think people would revolt if they hired Jeff Primes and I think it might work out for him. So that's the thing. It's like, I would like if you took the booster thing out, Oh, that might be my first choice. He'd be so good Mm -hmm. there. I love that idea. He's been at so many big schools and sec schools. Like he's been at LSU and Auburn and and obviously like in Baylor, like he would know how to run that. I think it's, I think you have to think about the booster thing. And then the last wrinkle in this, we can wrap up soon, is like the John Cohen element of this. Like mm-hmm. Mike Leach was flashy. Joe Moorhead was the, even though I'm a big, like he was the flavor of the week in a lot of ways. Like he mm-hmm. kind of wants scheme and new forward thinking in a lot of his hires. Does that point to like a thinking outside the box? Does that point to like a Chadwell? I don't know. Yeah. Brody, rough week for the picks last week. We didn't do very well. That was pretty bad, actually. Yeah. Real bad. Uh, but hey. Shoot or shoot, Brody. Shoot. <laughs> yes, we're back. I will we're, we just you, have to I tell ourselves you, uh, that the it's going to revert to the mean, and we're actually going to be great. I will let you go first. What do you got for us this week as we close the show with our picks of the week? I don't actually love anything that much this week, which is why I'm making the pick that just hurts my soul, but I really like it. And you actually are talking me out of it because of your Cadillac point, and like how that place is going to be hopping. <laughs> but I'm going AM plus two. I know it's so stupid. Oh my I know gosh. It's terrible. You're going to fight the trend lines. Oh, I really think it's like, first off, they played like, they actually kind of made that a ball game for a while with their entire like two deep out. And I think if if they're healthy and all that, like if Wegman's back, all that, like I like the way they're progressing, and I like thank you, John, for putting pray for me in there. <laughs> bold move, Brody. I I really like move. that's my play. Also, I saw like a forty percent market differential toward A and M, which like you know like the money to the bets, and I'm like, I think I think I like. A&M I will there. say, man, Vegas 
they uh they they don't build the hotels and put all the shiny lights up because they're dumb. And I think I was talking to a friend of mine who was texting about this. He said, you know, the Tennessee stuff for like ninety four percent of the money was on Tennessee, and that yes, line sir. it moved a lot at the start. It was like eleven and a half, and then it moved to like nine and eight and a half, and then it just stuck. Oh, dude! And it, all the money kept piling up on Tennessee, and it was, it was not moving. Oh, but to go even more inside baseball, that it was eight and a half right for a while, and then it went down to about seven and a half for about. 10 minutes literally <laughs> and millions went on like the, the the sharps were waiting for their number and the millions went on georgia seven and a half and like you said it got back up so, I, like, I said yeah. a friend who texted me i said yeah i was like that's that's a pretty concerning sign because that was a big like vegas nose moment like All when time. they let yeah. that money collect and they don't move the line that's where you're like oh vegas really disagrees with the public yes. here and uh a big vegas nose moment but brody my pick of the week couple good defenses going head to head mississippi state and georgia maybe this is uh just me having seen georgia's defense in person 52 and a half feels like a big number i think mississippi state can slow down georgia i think georgia's gonna try to run the ball and mississippi state can hold up that that. three three five does pretty well uh against the running game Uh, i just don't think they're gonna get to this number uh i think georgia you know we could see another georgia game where they maybe play down to their competition a little bit. Um, where they're, That was a big game, big atmosphere. You're not probably going to have that again coming off. So I'm going under. And, and just to build bonus. your case, by the way, what's like the one thing State struggles with? Like It's like when teams let them get their yards, but then yes. like can lock down in the red zone, and Georgia's the literal best. A lot of field country. goals. Yeah. A lot of field goals for Mississippi State. Uh, if Mississippi State scores more than one and a half touchdowns, I'll be shocked in this game. I would agree with that. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure that I believe Georgia is just going to be rolling up 40 points against Mississippi State's defense. 52 is a big number from what I see. So, and then of course, Alabama on the road laying two touchdowns. Absolutely not against a very competent, dare I say, strong Ole Miss team. I'm not sure Ole Miss wins this game, but 12 points is too many for how many times we need to see Alabama go on the road. Ole Miss is better than Texas. Fine, uh, Ole Miss is, uh, you know, I mean, Alabama probably wins this game, but not. Ole Miss is good. I, I don't know what's. Yeah, doing, I'm ready so. to say they're good. Like it's fair. Yeah, that, so that's I, my that's my picture of the week. It's gonna be better. Gonna I be just better. don't like the idea of Saban off a loss. That's the only reason I. I you're I'm not scared. wrong. But no, you're believe, you're right too. I believe like, I was burned on this earlier when I took uh, Mississippi State. You did. It was like third. Half. Yeah, blood. Um, so, wait, before we wrap up, I just got to say, Reagan, thank you for all your questions today. Uh, asked about one Bill O'Brien to Auburn. Uh, no, his stock is lower than it's ever been. Like Alabama like, will be laughing as loudly as anyone has ever laughed at a coaching hire. If yeah, that happens, is, it will not happen. He's had a tough two years. I think that's fair yes. to say. Like, I'm not, not sure Bill O'Brien is going to be Alabama's OC next year. I, I tell you. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And then what about Urban Meyer? I mean, they are desperate enough to be like, we'll take the PR hit. Let's do it. So I don't know, but I just can't imagine. I don't think so. Yeah. I also can't imagine John Cohen making that hire, but what do I know? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys for listening. What a week of games, Brody. Uh, this week's games uh, leave a little not bit as, to be desired. So yeah. it's worth talking about last week. And, man, uh, impressive stuff from Georgia, impressive stuff from LSU. Um, it's going to be a fun last month uh, as we sort of chase this uh, this playoff uh, race and the coaching carousel heats up. We'll see uh, what that looks like uh I'm excited to see uh, this Auburn atmosphere behind Coach Caddy uh, on uh, on Saturday night. It's going to be fun. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Brody, back 
Hopefully, Brody will be on the front page of another newspaper. I'm just going to start camping out behind important plays all the time, man. <laughs> what we need is we need people to start Photoshopping Brody into important moments in history. like uh, Max Olson did send me, our colleague Max Olson uh, sent me a photo. I'm sorry I didn't send it to John of me at the moon landing. <laughs> Uh, that sounds about right. It was yeah. a little bit like uh, back in the old school Deadspin days, the old Ned photo of yes. the Miami FIU brawl with Ned coming in on the crutches. Back in the OG Deadspin days, people were photoshopping him like storming the beach at Normandy and doing all kinds <laughs> of stuff. We need we need, we need Brody sitting there. Observing. Yeah. Brody's just standing there on the grassy knoll in 1967 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that seems like a great note to uh, send you guys on your merry way. We'll be back here next week talking a lot of SEC football. I don't know that the games are going to be quite as good as they were on Saturday, but hey, we'll be here talking about them. I'm sure something will happen. Maybe uh, if you're a chair, watch your back because Mike Leach is coming for you. So thank you guys. Talk to you guys next week. See you.